kills. Guys, welcome back. This is the follow-up to the uh, 47th episode on uh, Playing to Win, uh, where it was just Robert and I. We were kind of chopping it up about his uh, Batman origin story and you know some of the wealth creation ideas. And towards the end of the show, he mentioned that he wanted to bring in his uh, tax and real estate guy. Uh, so we're joined today with Tom Wheelwright, who's our uh, tax guy, and uh, Ken... Oops. Got volume coming up here on my other screen. Sorry, Ken uh, McElroy. Am I pronouncing it right? It's yeah, McElroy. Okay, yeah. perfect. And um, you are the real estate guy. So before we um, kick it off and kind of dive into this, I'm going to segue in just by throwing up on the screen the tail end of the last cast that I did with Robert, um, just to kind of refresh uh, what we left with, because he came because he basically cooked up this idea to put together this follow-up with the real estate and tax planning based off this ending here. So just listen to this right here real quick. This is a really good question here. So is it real estate mostly ruined by the fact the government can stop rent for months on end? Like, why would the typical person want that risk? They've never stopped my rent. I don't know what country you live in. Um, I, think he's, I think he's talking about the rent relief um, during the pandemic, during the lockdowns and all that, where people weren't required to pay the rent. Yeah, well, wait, you just handle those little, little problems you handle. I mean, I don't handle any of that. That's why my friend Kenny comes on. Mm -hmm. I just give him my money. I make a lot of money in other businesses, but I've got to give my money to a real estate guy. How did you solve that problem? Like, I'm not in the U.S. So I don't know how the rent uh, you know, yeah, situation I, working with a lockdown. Yeah. So that's why it would be good, Rich, if we get Kenny and Tom on. We can talk about that. We talk about Kenny. I can talk about the world. But we've okay, traveled cool. the world together. Cool. And they all find out it's always the same. You know, when you look here, this is ESB. This is the book number two. You go to school for, to be an employee or you become a doctor, a lawyer, a specialist, or a plumber, something like this. Capitalists live on this side here, B and I. And so when we taught all over the world, we only teach this side here. I don't know this side. That's my poor dad's side. Mm -hmm. This is my rich dad's side here. So B stands for a brand, 500 employees and a brand. So I, my book is now number 20 in the world because I studied how to build a brand. I didn't study how to be a doctor. And then the I stands for insider. I never touch outside stocks. I'm always an entrepreneur. But so that's how my solutions are different, but I studied for it. That's the story of Rich Dad Poor Dad. That's embroidered I mean, in, the, in, the, in the headrest of your chair, too, isn't it? What's that? That's embroidered yeah. in the headrest yeah, of your chair yeah, behind yeah, you. Yeah, I just noticed that. My, my whole uh, team gave that to me because we teach, Rich Dad teaches people to be on this side. Academics teach people on this side. These guys pay 40% in taxes. S is paying 60%. So if a doctor makes a million dollars, they walk home with 400. Mm -hmm. That's terrible. Yeah. I make a million dollars here. I walk away with a million dollars. And I walk over here, it's 20%. And the reason I got a tax break. All right. So I think that covers it. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff we can talk about. We have about an hour. So I want to get right into this. Let's try to be as, be as efficient as possible as we're kind of uh, working through many of these ideas. So to, to kind of give you guys a little bit of insight. So here in Canada, because um, Robert and I were talking maybe about 15, 20 minutes prior to that. And I also had a conversation with George Gammon a few months prior. And we got into the conversations about real estate. Um, real estate here, as far as placing your money, um, you know, as an investor to acquire and hold um, and put tenants in it even, unless you're running it as a full-time business, doesn't make a lot of sense. So if you've got some spare capital and you want to deploy it and say, all right, I'm going to buy a condo here and a house here or something like that. Um, like the last condo that I just sold a few months ago, it was in downtown Toronto. And to give you an idea of the ratios, about 850,000, two bedroom, two bath. And when it was uh, generating rental income, it was about 
$2,800 a month. So not a, not a real good ratio, right? That's a lot different in many of the states in the U.S., right? Like real estate is a lot more attractive, if I'm not mistaken, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, the thing about Toronto, as you know, Rich, being there, I, I, I've spoken all over Canada and I have lots of friends that do real estate in Canada. Um, you know, as you go from, let's say, the West Coast, from let's call it Vancouver, you know, then to, you know, maybe Calgary, and you just keep moving moving around, each, each city, each province is different. Each, uh, it's the same in the U.S. So, you know, typically the coasts are a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, yes, yeah, so the, the, you know, you can get deals. You know, the key to real estate, from my opinion, is, is uh, trying to be ahead of where we're going. So, uh, you know, Vancouver blew up way back in the 80s because of your immigration when, you know, you could, you could put a million bucks down and all of a sudden you could open a business and you could be a uh, citizen in the in canada well that that's uh i don't know if they're still doing that but that kind of blew up that that market and, and so you know each market's a little bit different depending on oil and gas if you go up to the tar sands uh, uh, you know up above calgary and i know that busted sense and you know so uh it's the same in the u.s we have boom and bust towns based on you know what's happening in that particular area and towards the end of that um, clip that I just played, Robert was talking about being able to put money into real estate but pay zero taxes on was it was it the income? Is it the capital gains on the property? Like, can you get some get into some uh, specifics with that? And if Tom, you need to chime in on the tax planning stuff, let us know what that looks like too. If, if, if Tom, if I can step in, I'll just show this diagram, then Tom takes over. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Exactly. I'll give you the full screen just so you can show the diagram. Yeah, this is the most important part. When somebody says they're investing, are you investing from an employee or a self-employed or business and insider? And these guys pay the highest taxes. So when somebody says I'm making money, I want to know from which quadrant they're investing from. So I won't touch a deal if I'm investing from here. Again, this is poor dad, this is rich dad, this is academic, these are capitalists here. But what Tong has taught me and my rich dad taught me to do is if I have a business, which I do, and I make $1 million here, 1 million. So the rich dad company makes 1 million. Immediately, I've got to ask Kenny, I need a $5 million, $5 million liability. So what I'm doing is I'm going to make a million dollars here and I have to find a $5 million, either rental property, oil and gas or something. So they're not the same transaction. So every time I'm investing, I'm on two tracks. One is a business order and the other as an investor. Got it. Every year I'm calling Kenny, saying, hey, Kenny, I need some more. I need some more debt. I need some more debt. Tom, take over. <laughs> so... So is that through a hold co? Like here in Canada, we call that a holding company, abbreviated down to hold co, which is just a number company, which holds your assets. Is that what that looks like, Tom? Uh, it, yeah, typically, but it's it's not the it's not the company that makes the difference. It's the asset. So it's having the debt combined. So it's you, you get a deduction in Canada. It's the same. Okay, you get a deduction for a portion of the purchase price of the property. Right. And some of that is accelerated depending on what type it is. So is that, for example, is it carpeting and 
and uh, window coverings or is it, uh, you know, land improvements like landscaping or is it the building itself, right? Everything wears out at different rates and the government gives you a deduction. We call it depreciation down here or asset recovery in some, some countries. Um, and that deduction is, you know, it's, it's not like the property is going down in value. It's just that the government gives you a deduction for wear and tear on the building and on the property and when you get debt along with the money you put in then what happens is you actually magnify that deduction so robert can actually take a million dollars buy five million dollars of property and he could end up with uh, right now in the u.s as much as a million dollar deduction but you know whether it's a million dollars or five hundred thousand canada's probably closer to five hundred thousand right now if you if you did that um but you can really it's what's really interesting you can really do it in any country so so it's structured in in such a way that a holding company holds that million dollar asset. So let's say that you generate a million dollars in income on it and you're sitting on that cash. As long as you take on the five million dollars in debt in the, um, let's say you buy an apartment building with a bunch of doors, then then that's a wash and there's no taxes paid. Exactly. Got it. Rich, exactly. What, what I'm trying to do is I have a business as an asset, Rich Dad, let's say. Mm-hmm. I'm calling, I was calling, I, I start panicking around July and I'm on the phone to Kenny. I said, Kenny, what you got, what you got, what you got. This is the difference that people have a hard time realizing. I'm looking for more debt. And, and when you say more debt, you generally mean like borrowing money from a bank yes, or need, real estate investment. I need to find something I can borrow money on. And the got reason it. I say that is so many people, Americans, Canadians, they've been taught to get out of debt, live debt free. So the opposite, opposite. so when I tell people what I, what I'm calling Kenny panicking, I say, Kenny, how much debt have you got? And what he's got an asset. So let's let's use the same numbers, 1 million, 5 million. I now have a $6 million asset and it might be an apartment house in Austin, Texas. That was the last deal we did, right? Kenny That was Austin. Yeah, it's 450 doors, 455 doors, 90 million. And um, is there like a certain region that 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 you guys lean to right now? Like I know there's 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 somewhat of a migration of uh, citizens from certain states to places like Texas, Arizona, and Florida. Um, have you been targeting like these growth areas specifically? Yeah, so we have. Uh, I have about 300 employees at this point we have just about 10,000 doors and um, you know our acquisition guys are constantly looking for obviously where people are heading so you know back in the day you can kind of pick on let's say Detroit you know that was a really hot and vibrant now it's you know there's not a lot of people going there and, and so now that's happening along the coast so Washington Oregon California not exclusively but but a lot of people are moving out of those areas into other areas based on all kinds of things. So that, yes. And so one of those markets that we're looking at is Texas. Uh, they're obviously not moving everywhere in Texas, but there are certain markets that people are going to. And there's a bunch of cool ways, Rich, like uh, simple. Like if you think about it, it makes complete common sense, but like, like rider truck and U-Haul, U-Haul truck rentals one way. I was watching a video on your channel. Yeah. 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 So How do you get that data? Yeah, it's all on on the on the internet. You, okay. you know, North American North American van lines, also out of state drivers licenses, as an example, or residency or whatever. 
you know, when you like, let's say people are moving here from Washington to Arizona, let's say, which is where I live, <laughs> they turn in their driver's license. Well, that's a data point. So, you know, last year, Arizona grew by 98,000 people, uh, North Carolina, 93, uh, Texas, 321,000 and Florida, 211,000. Those are the top four states right now. That Do are you know growing. what the, do you actually know what the percentage growth is? Versus uh, the- no, not off the top of my head, okay. uh, you know, and that is important, but the, you know, what happens, Rich, as you can imagine, you can imagine when up, let's say a hundred thousand people come to Arizona, mm-hmm. if we don't have the supply to accommodate that, then it drives prices up, drives rent up, you know, it's hard to get a reservation, all that stuff's happening mm-hmm. here in Arizona, it's happening in Florida, it's happening in Texas. Those states are busy. And the um, truck rental companies, do they do they publish that information about where all their vehicles are moving to? Or is that like an insider thing? Or yeah, no, yo, you can go right on U-Haul and go on North American and go on Ryder. And it's actually, they'll show you. Oh, really? It, it's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. Just it's Clever. available on the internet right now. And, and uh, so, yeah, those are, those are just some of the things you wouldn't want to rely on them completely. But there's also some crazy horror stories. So I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. I have a friend that's trying to move from California and uh, U-Haul is going to charge him 10 grand um, and because he, it's a one-way trip and uh, it's up to Idaho. And um, so he said, if I get it back to them, it's only four. Uh, so, you know, there's, you know, what's happening is all their, their, their all their trucks are leaving and they, 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 they don't have the labor to get them all back. So there's got to be a market to pay somebody like a thousand bucks oh, to drive nice. that thing back. <laughs> I'll do it for a thousand bucks. Yeah. I mean, you could put, probably put an ad in a local uh, listing and get some kid to do it with a driver's license, right? Yeah. That's interesting. Um, what other uh, strategies have you been able to leverage um, to m- minimize your tax burden? Because that's usually one of the most uh, expensive uh, lines on my QuickBooks that I've noticed in the past. I mean, what else have you seen that's uh, a little tip or a trick that, you know, if you got anything for us, Tom or Robert or Ken? Well, the, the first thing to understand is is really what the tax law is all about, that, you know, most of the tax law is really a bunch of incentives and the government wants you to put your money certain places and the key is to find those incentives. So real estate is one of those incentives. Uh, need to build housing, need to build commercial properties. So we have real estate tax incentives. Uh, there are others, energy, um, clean energy, especially is a big one, renewable energy. Um, there are tax credits, there's, there's tax deductions for, for clean energy. There's um, you know, other energy, oil and gas. Um, in the US, there's big deductions for oil and gas. Technology, business, agriculture. I mean, there are really a lot of incentives. Um, 99% of the tax law in all of our countries is uh, just a series of incentives. It's just instruction guide, basically, to reducing your taxes. So all, all, all the government's saying is, look, we need certain things done. And if you do those things, then uh, we're going to encourage that by giving you a tax break. And because uh, we want you to do it rather than have us do it. And then we'll share the profits when the profits come. Are there states that are more business friendly than other states? Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're starting to see rent control pop up. We're starting Mm -hmm. to see rent caps pop up. There are some that actually have passed. So, you know, capital markets, you were talking about, you know, the big money institutional. It's going to go, you know, 
it's going to go to where it's a little little more friendly. And uh, I think that's what's happening now, right? People are voting with their feet and their, and their checkbooks uh, based on those things happening right now. We're seeing it real time. That's wonderful. Um, Robert, I want to ask you this question. How do you select your tax guy? Because I always struggle to find great tax planners. Most of them will like to prefer to color within the lines. Every dot must be, you know, perfect. Every T must be crossed. There is no, you know, room for gray area. I like a guy that's, you know, more willing to lean into to asking for, for for forgiveness than asking for permission. So I'm curious about how you chose a guy like Tom, you know, for example. Well, as that old that old saying goes, you kiss a lot of frogs to find the fairy princess. <laughs> I had I had a lot of bad ones, and through a bad one, I met Tom. But Tom wrote this book called Tax Free Wealth. It's a it's a it's a book for entrepreneurs because we're not the brightest guys on earth. And you can read the book. And the most important thing, after reading Tax-Free Wealth, you'll know what questions to ask. And it'll save you a lot of time. And uh, and Tom is definitely within the lines because we wouldn't cross him. It's not worth it. Is it. Would you say that's true, Tom? Yeah. And, and let me add to that, Rich. So really the question is, is how much does your tax advisor know about the tax law? It's, it, you really don't want them to go outside their knowledge. So if you've got somebody who's, you know, pushing the envelope, it's probably because they don't know, they don't know the entire tax law. And so the more they, more you understand about the tax law, the more you really understand that, wow, you know what, this tax law is actually built to reduce your taxes if you do what the government wants done. So it's really a matter of understanding the tax law as opposed to having to push the limits of the tax law. Right. Mm. Got it. And again, the question, the thing for every entrepreneur is what questions to ask. Those are very important questions. Well, how do you, how do you decide that? Buy Tom's book is called tax free wealth. <laughs> Read the book. There you go. Tax free wealth. Where's it on Amazon? It's everywhere. So and it's, it's on Amazon. And it's, it's in the and is it specific to the United States or a certain region or a certain state or? It's not. It's very, it's, it's very much about the concepts of tax okay. law. So we have, I mean, I've had people talk to me in Romania and, and uh, Great Britain and Canada and Mexico. It doesn't matter because the concepts, right? We're, we're not looking the specifics is what you have a tax advisor for. But mm -hmm. you, you need to understand what you can do uh, to reduce your taxes. You know, one of the things that um, we look at is... Uh, you, you think about a conservative versus an aggressive um, tax advisor and really a conservative tax advisor, just somebody that um, does things within what they know. So anytime you have somebody who doesn't know very much, then they're going to be very aggressive. What I always tell people, though, to Robert's point about asking questions is the advisor's primary job is not to give answers. The pr advisor's primary job is to ask the right questions. So the best way to know if your tax advisor is a good tax advisor is, are they asking you good questions? And that's pretty easy. You, you can tell that. You, you've got a pretty good idea. Oh, yeah, they're thinking about this. They're asking me this. They're looking at kind of a holistic approach to taxes. And they're not just saying, no, you can do this and you can't do that. How do you spot a uh, bad tax advisor? Oh, my heavens. Well, that's about 90 plus percent of them, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, there are people. Uh, so you know, we're all entrepreneurs, right? So I always say no entrepreneur wants to be told what they can't do. They only want to be told how to do what they want to do. 
So to me, a good tax advisor, attorney, financial planner, whoever it is, is somebody that's going to help you get where you want to go. And that's really that it's really that thought process. It's how you think about it that makes the big difference in what questions that um, then the tax advisor asks you to get where you want to go. Got it. Got it. So, Rich, Rich, if I may add one more thing, the yeah. reason I want it's always Ken and Tom, because in the world of money, it's always debt and taxes. So Kenny provides the debt. He has three books. First book is the ABCs, is the basic of real estate investing. Then he, then he has one for property management, which is key. You've got to have a good property manager. That's the hardest thing about real estate. Mm -hmm. And the third is the advanced guide. So if you'll go through Ken's book and books, three books, and Tom's books, then you'll be better able to find a better tax advisor. Because I think Kenny's book, the, the piece de resistance, is his last book, is the advanced guide is how we make millions of dollars and pay no taxes legally. When you read that, then you start hunting down a guy like Tom Wheelwright as, as fast as he can. Mm -hmm. And the other, last thing I want to say, because we have this question, we the three of us have traveled the world together. We have a great time. Uh, Kenny was locked up in Moscow as usual, but anyway. <laughs> the, the, Rich, the tax laws are fundamentally the same all over the world. Because Tom flies, let's, let's say we fly into Romania, Tom will check it out. He says, it's exactly the same. And everybody says, well, our tax laws are different here. But no matter which country we've been to, and you know, Kenny and Tom have done a lot of work in Canada, the laws are the same. When you say the laws are the same, um, uh, like just to sort of expand on that, like we're, we're dealing with like uh, cuisine in countries varies, but you still have, you know, pretty much the same ingredients, right? Is what we're dealing with? Yeah. So here's what I would say, Rich. Um, you know, the, the financial system in the U.S., the financial system in Canada are very different. But one thing that's the same is the banks are trying to get everybody's money in savings and the wealth managers are trying to get everybody's money to, to manage it. Mm -hmm. So what if you understand that, then you understand how to get that money, because that all money, all that money funnels into all those things. So when I go out to get money in the form of debt, I actually get it, you know, through banks, through pension funds, through insurance, no different in Canada. I mean, all that money's managed. And then those money managers look for guys like me to place it. That is absolutely the same. So it really all is OPM or other people. And that's one thing that's for sure. And what the banks are trying to do, of course, if I, if I let's say I get, a million bucks from you and it's in, in savings and I'm paying you 1%. I'm trying to lend it back to me at say five. And you know, and so that's, that's how it works is they're taking your money and basically lending it to me. And but the collateral is a project that I find. That's the system that we're in. It's the same across the entire world. Yeah. And, and Rich, even from a tax standpoint, I mean, the incentives are the same. Your, your government wants the same things my, our, our government wants. You know, they want housing, they want energy, they want, agri you know, food, they want, they want business, they want technology. The incentives don't change. Yeah, how they apply those incentives are going to change, you know, from, from, from time to time. Um, the, the very specific details of that. So you do have to have a local tax advisor. But the, but the overall view of the government, what the government wants to do and the government incentives are absolutely remarkably the same. You know, we have here what's called a 401k, which is a retirement plan like your RRSP. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, in, um, in Japan, they actually have something they call a 401k. So <laughs> they've actually copied us exactly. And so, the, you know, you take those retirement plans. Yeah, there's a little difference. For example, RSP, you have a lot more flexibility in taking that out than we do. Uh, superannuation in Australia, they have even more um, flexibility than you do. But they're still the same idea. There's still the idea of putting money into a retirement plan, getting a tax break, and then taking it out when you retire. So it's still the same incentive. It's still the same idea. Gotcha. Um, Robert, you were talking about the mindset of like most guys earlier, and Sarah sent me a, a video um, about, uh, I can't remember what the title was, something around um, debt being dumb, you know, essentially. Oh, by the way, Robert, you were right. You know, you were talking about being a big fat beta the last time we were talking. Yeah. And that video that I watched, and, and, and it had Ken and Tom in it as well. It, was, it looked like it was about 20 years old. You look like a totally different guy back then. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. much, like a lot more, you know, in the face than the head. You've lost a lot of that weight, so good for you. But um, in those videos, you were you were talking about the um, concept about how people struggle with the idea of like good debt versus bad debt, right? And a lot of them have you know limiting beliefs. I don't know if you know this, but I built one of Canada's most successful debt negotiation companies. I started it in two thousand three. Uh, I pulled out of it a few years ago. My brother runs it now for the most part. So I'm I'm very very familiar with the mindset that most people have when they consume uh, unsecured debt and create credit card debt and you know what what sort of problems that creates in their lives. Can you talk a little bit more about the mindset you know between you know those those like limiting limiting beliefs around debt all debt being bad versus how you actually make money with debt? Yeah, I think I think you called it a uh, scam. I think it was scam number seven. Yeah. Was it? It's uh, it really is a mindset. It's a I call it a culture. There's a guy Malcolm Gladwell, he's Canadian, and and he says what keeps a person where they're at is their culture. For example, I'm Japanese, but my culture is American. And so a poor person is a person of a culture of well, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. So they spend. So they lack the discipline. Mm -hmm. The other part, the, the hardest thing when I talk to people, I mean, I've gotten to fights. You know, I, I like, a, like an obnoxious character I am, I said, well, I just don't like paying taxes. And I tell you, there are some of these people who get off, they say, that's criminal, you're a criminal. You know, they think, not, they think, they think paying taxes is patriotic. Mm -hmm. And I point out to them, if you understood macroeconomics, that in 1773, America had a party. It was called the Boston Tea Party. It was it was a revolt against paying taxes. So America was formed as a tax-free nation. And but it's been the Kool-Aid has been drunk, uh, sold off to people that you have to pay taxes. And the person who says taxes are important are Marxists. You know, I mean, Karl Marx in his book Capitalist Communist Manifesto said. You want to kill the middle classes, grind them with taxes. So they're inculcated via the education system that if you pay taxes, you're patriotic. Mm -hmm. When on the B and the I side, it's completely opposite. You know, I always say there's three sides to every coin, heads, tails, at the edge of the coin. On the B and the I side of the coin, I don't want to pay tax. I'm a capitalist. I'm also a patriot. So what Tom says is accurate. Tax laws are incentives to do what the government wants done. So it, I, does, 
just, just recently, I'll, I'll make it even worse, Rich. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, with this COVID thing coming up, uh, we're forced to buy jets, right, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Wait, Kenny, I bought a Lair 60. And what did you buy, Kenny? Uh, Phenom. Phenom. And why was it a good deal for the tax site, Tom? Well, uh, it, the purchase price was 100% deductible. So you offset all that other income with the deduction for the for the jet. And that eases travel. So there's a nice benefit yeah, there yeah. too. But imagine, Rich, you, you sell a piece of property or a, a business and you you know, you know net three or four million bucks and you have to pay tax on that or you buy a jet and you don't have to pay tax on it. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. See, guys, this is how this is how smart businessmen work. And I know that this cast will be above the pay grade of a lot of people that might be watching it right now. And one of the criticisms, you know, that I hear a lot from guys that watch my content when I say things like, you know, it's never been easier to make money. And, you know, if you can become an entrepreneur, you should get away from the J-O-B and not live just over broke and, you know, create something of some value. Oh, Rich, you know, you're out of touch. There's, you know, there's only so much money out there and all the rich people have it. And you'll never make it and blah, blah, blah. And they've, they've already lost, right? But they lose touch of the fact that, you know, the money supply has doubled in the last like year. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's quite easy, you know, if you do create value to, you know, create your own business and do things like this. And then you end up, you know, in a position where you have problems like, okay, I've unloaded a piece of real estate and now I have three or four million dollars that could be a tax liability or I could just buy a private jet and solve my travel woes and not pay those taxes sort of things. But, you know, they don't see it that way. It's like, you know, okay, well, what... You know, you you create other solutions in lives and you put money back into the system. Even even if you're not paying taxes on it, you now have to employ people that maintain the jet, fuel it, clean it. You have a pilot. You have people that have to, you know, deal deal with the food. There's all kinds of mechanisms that come into play. Like, you know, Robert, you said that you employ a lot of people. So even if you may not pay taxes on income that you earn that gets transferred over to real estate, you like I know for... Uh, tax liabilities here in Canada anyway, even if I were to pay zero in taxes, I still have EHT taxes, I have right. payroll deductions, I've got CPP, I've got employment got insurance. GST. Right. Yeah. HST taxes. That's why this is the second book, Cash Flow Quadrant. These are mindsets. Right. And you, if you don't change the mindset, nothing changes. So this person will always say the same words. I want a safe, secure job with a steady paycheck. Yeah, they, they can't unless they change that. Nothing happens. And then this one is if you want it done right, do it by yourself. And these are doctors and lawyers and all this. Mm -hmm. I, I was kind of laugh. I've met so many doctors who make a million dollars a year, but they're paying six hundred thousand in taxes. I make a million dollars here. I pay zero taxes. Who's smarter? Here's the other thing, Rich. You know, yeah. you know, with with the, my real estate holdings. Uh, we pay close to six million a year in, in property tax. Right, which you can't get away from. Yeah, so which is tax. So you know, it's it's. I'm saying what I'm saying is, but the government, to Tom's point earlier, is giving me a tax break for actually being in the housing business because the government is not in the housing business. So they rely on the private sector. So they give people incentives to build it, to own it. Uh, you know, some of them are affordability tax credits and things like that. 
and they're needed. You know, those social services are needed for people that, that need a hand. Um, but what they do is they, they, they incentivize the industry and say, listen, how can we get you guys to provide more housing? And, um, and, and so we get the tax breaks for doing all that work and putting things, you know, cause I put my balance sheet up to, you know, to get a loan and to build something or to buy something. But at the end of the day, you know, on a three or 400 unit building, I'm paying two to 300,000 a year in property tax to that municipality. Uh, and so, you know, those, we are paying tax plus we're paying, paying sales tax, renters tax. Well, plus your employees are, plus your employees are all paying tax, right? Yeah, so so it, it's, not like nobody, it's not like nobody pays tax. The, right. the, the reality is, Rich, is that we're really all partners with the government, yeah. right? Uh, we can be a silent partner, which is the E and the S side of the quadrant. We're just silent partners. We're paying our tax, going our way. That's fine. The government's fine with that. They, you know, they know that they need tax mules, people who will uh, pay that tax. But then there's the B and the I side who are actually active partners. So like, you know, if, if I invest with Kenny, I'm a silent partner. I'm not telling Kenny what to do. And he's taking a share and I'm taking a share. And that's the way partnerships work. With the government, same thing's happening. What, what happens with Robert is the reason he's paying no tax is because he's doing so much of what the government wants done that they're happy to have that partnership because all the employees are paying tax. Like Kenny says, there's property tax, there's sales tax. So they're getting lots of money back. They're just not getting it from Robert. So, and Rich, what we're doing is we're actually taking the, the playbook from the government regarding tax right. and we're designing our investment strategy around it. it. It's not the other way around. It's, you know, we're doing what they're asking us to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Can you, we're now, I mean, Robert's got the rich dad, poor dad story. Um, I think most people that are watching have probably heard it, but um, can you guys talk about that moment where you basically saw the code in the matrix and you unplug from the lies that, that, that we're going to encourage you to, you know, like I'm sure Tom, at some point you probably work for an accounting firm, you know, as a junior guy. And I'm sure Ken, you know, at some point, you know, before you started to acquire real estate, you're doing something, you know, as a J-O-B sort of employee. Can you guys kind of talk about those moments and share those stories with people just to give them some insight so they understand that, that you know, what you see and do right now doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be what you're seeing and doing when you get, get on later on in life too? Yeah. So, so I'll tell you about uh, 26 years ago, I started my first accounting practice. And uh, one of the first clients I had, had put away money in a pension plan. That's what most people do, right? They put it into an RSP, right. some kind of pension plan. And he, he retired the year he became my client. And he started complaining to me. He goes, Tom, I don't understand. I'm paying all these taxes. Now that I'm with you, I'm paying all these taxes. Before that, I paid no taxes. Well, because he just postponed his taxes. He hadn't eliminated his taxes like Robert does and Ken does. He'd actually just postponed his taxes. And so now he's paying this huge amount of taxes. And, all, you know, when, when I saw that, I'm just going, wait a minute, this is a fool's errand. You're just saying, I'm not going to eat my broccoli at the beginning of the meal. I'm going to eat at the end of the meal, but it doesn't make it taste any better, right? If you don't like broccoli. So the same thing is true with the taxes. You're actually in a higher tax bracket when you retire, if you're making the same amount of money than you were when you were working, because you don't have any of the deductions. So you're, you're actually worse off in many cases, postponing that income. And so what, what occurred to me is, well, what's really going on with the tax law? And, and frankly, you know, Robert uh, challenged me to write this book, Tax-Free Wealth. And I started looking at, okay, how does the tax law really work? 
And uh, what really came clear, and I remember the moment when Robert and I were on, and Kenny and I were on stage in Las Vegas, actually at the Paris. I don't know if you guys remember that. And I said, look, the tax law is a series of, it's stimulus. That's what it is. It's incentives. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, Blair Singer turns to me and goes, what? <laughs> and he goes, because once you realize that you're just doing what the government wants done, it changes everything. It's that, just like you're saying, Rich, it's how you think about it. Because mm -hmm. if you think that it's my obligation to pay the most tax possible, you, you then great, do it. Okay. But if you realize that you can actually contribute more to the government doing what they want you to do than just paying taxes, you know, who's, who's more patriotic? Yep. Ken, you got a story for us on that? Yeah, you bet. So, so mine's a little different. Um, I was uh, I was a wrestler in high school, and I ended up getting a, uh, a scholarship. And I uh, used to wrestle all up, uh, actually Simon Fraser, University of Alberta, all up in the in the provinces, and also all over the U.S. And uh, I was going to business school, and, and so I uh, couldn't pay rent, so I I took a job at a, a an apartment building as a manager. And uh, the owner came in. Uh, after a few months because it was a mess when I took it over and I cleaned it up you know it was pretty common sense business I felt and uh, he's like hey thanks for you know turning this building around and I handed him all the deposits uh, you know he went to the bank and I'm like man I'm on the wrong side of the desk and uh, <laughs> so I got uh, I got my real estate license and I went to work for the company that was managing that property and they had a bunch of properties and uh, I ended up um, working for them was my only job for about eight years and uh, I started to learn how guys were putting partnerships together syndications buying deals and there were a lot of doctors and lawyers and you know guy kind of high I call them high paid you know commissioned people really um, and um, you know and and uh, so one day I just said okay I've had enough I've had a good learning curve I'm gonna start going out and doing my own deals and um, I never looked back. So that was, uh, I'd call that in the mid to late 90s. And I've uh, been doing it uh, ever since. Just been buying. I think uh, so far I've, I've bought, now, I'm not talking about transacted through, like as a GP, close to $3 billion since then, uh, personally with my- You said billion with a B? Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was 30, 30 years worth, you know. It's, uh, well. Yeah, I mean, like a lot of people might be watching this and saying, oh, you know, it's an overnight success where he got lucky and, you know, you know, good for him with the Jets sort of thing. But they don't see the 30 years of blood, sweat and tears that yeah. go into that, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. There's a, you know, I lost money. Uh, you, you know, there's there's some mistakes in there for sure, uh, you know, as, as there are. And, did you uh, did you guys have any issues in the 2008 financial crisis that, that um, you know, were problematic or did you sail through it? I did. Uh, I, you know, we had learned, luckily I had been in the game for, you know, uh, a bit by then and um, I didn't have anything really heavily levered. And uh, what happened in the housing crash is they actually, when people fall out of single family, they go into rentals. So mm -hmm. I was in the rental business. So uh, that's actually, we were on the right side of that and we did very, very, actually did very, very well. We actually, I'll tell you what I did is I went up to Canada. And we, we put together a $100 million fund with uh, our RSP money, and we started buying in Texas. So I used Canadian money to buy um, all in the early 2000s. And uh, at the time, if you remember, your dollar was about the same yeah. because the U.S. dollar was in trouble. So they invested 
into, into the, our, our Texas deals, and uh, and then uh, and they did really well. But in addition to that, our dollar got stronger, so so they had the currency heads too. So they they had a it was a double whammy. That that was complete luck, uh, the currency part. But um, uh, yeah, so that's what we did. Uh, you know, the U.S. was on sale during that time, mm-hmm. and no one in the U.S. was lending. No, you know, banks were taking property on, and it was a it was a shit show. So. Um, you know, so I'm like, okay, well, I got to figure this out. So I'm like, well, either Asia, Europe or, or Canada. And, um, you know, I had a lot of friends up in Canada from back in the day. And so you know, I went up there. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Well, well played. Robert, you're like the godfather of like, uh, money and money and power and, you know, pivoting and seeing this, uh, seeing this reality. Can you talk to people a little bit about, you know, your your own unplugging i mean like you wrote the book on it basically if you guys haven't read rich dad poor dad get the damn book it's on amazon read it and read the follow-up stuff to it but can you shed a little bit of light on this one for us too robert well i these guys will you know i i operate as a team i was i'm a rugby player and rugby players aren't the brightest guys but they were they're running teams and i was running a team mm. and so one of the first things uh rugby players i was also a marine and marines operated teams but the most important person on my team is my wife, Kim. And these two guys will tell you, she's the brains, right? Tom? For sure. Yeah, he's the the brain. She's who I call, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, I, didn't, uh... I didn't marry a rich woman, but when I met her, uh, she had a job. She was at advertising in Honolulu. Mm-hmm. And she would set up a little... Uh, network marketing business inside a health club and she you know here's here's this gorgeous woman sitting there selling products and all this stuff i said you know she's got i mean she's hot she's gorgeous she's sexy and she likes business so i i think that was one of the smartest things i ever did because i I would agree yeah she freed me up to go and do all the crazy stuff i was doing because she could always pick up the pieces right tom that's right. Yeah, I could see in your um, in in some of your video content, you know, especially when you're working with a group of people, that a uh, a team is very important. With you, was that something that you learned in in school, or was that something that came out of the military? It's military and rugby. Yeah. Let me um let me grab a few of these uh, comments and super chats. Renegade Winman just says, "Epic panel, everyone, be sure to take notes. This is priceless content coming to you for free." Um, we got Mike Tyson in the house, apparently. Uh, I haven't filed my taxes in about three years, and two years ago, I worked a ton and stupidly enough was convinced to change my W-2 from zero to exempt to get more money back from my job. I was investing and thought I'd make the money back. Appreciate, uh, Urch, what, what, what is that supposed to mean? I think you're, you rich are always bringing value. <laughs> I think I think you ran out of characters and just took out the spaces. <laughs> Um, you got any comments on that, Tom, on the um, tax issue there that Mike's mentioned? Yeah, you know, a lot a lot of people when they first get into, um, you know, they, they first start their own, you know, side hustle, uh, they forget about taxes because mm. their whole life they've had money taken out of their paycheck. So you can really get into trouble. Um, you know, you think that, I mean, you're borrowing from the government is what you're doing. If, you know, if you change your withholding so you don't take enough out then you're basically borrowing from the government and now you have to pay it back. Well, the government's not as friendly as your local banker, frankly. Um, the, IR, the IRS or the uh, CRA, they're gonna come after you 
And so you, you do have to pay attention to it um, and make sure that you are paying in your taxes so that you don't have this big bill come due uh, when you file your taxes. So, so the, the administration mm-hmm. part is actually very important. Um, so another question. So at what point if somebody was generating decent income and they wanted to minimize their tax liabilities and start looking at real estate or buying apartment buildings, would that make sense? May, may I uh, answer that question? Because that's a big hot button for me. I won't mention this guy's name, but he's a real estate expert in the States. And he recommends people start with a 200 unit apartment house. That seems like a pretty large start. Yeah. And then, so I think we should say, when I came back from Vietnam- Is that in a fund or is that buying your own 200 unit apartment house? Yeah. And this guy, but he was fishing for dollars is obvious. I and see. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, the type of guy on these channels here. Yeah. 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 And he's famous. He's famous. It's disgusting. I got into a fight with him on, on air. But um, when I came back from Vietnam, my rich dad said to me, he's my best friend's father. He says, if you're going to be rich, you have to understand real estate. And with that, he says, take a real estate course. So this is in 1974 or something. I took a real estate course for 385 bucks. And I bought a first, my first unit was a one bedroom, one bath condo in Maui. And it was $18,000. I broke my credit card out and I bought it and I made 25 bucks. So I started very, 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 very small. And I stayed small for a long time until Kim and I met Kenny. And, you know, Kim and I had, we, we had like 50 unit apartment houses and stuff like this. And we found out Kenny could do property management. See, property management is the key for the money coming out. You mismanage that property, it's gone. That's uh, The properties is a big money drain. So we had to beg Kenny, said, please, Kenny, help us, help us, help us. But this is the words that Kenny said to Kim and I, which was really, really good words. He says, I can't help you. You think too small. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that, Kenny? Yeah. Yeah. So what's the difference between like your definition of small thinking versus big thinking? Questions for Ken, sorry. Oh, um, well, What I have, Rich, is uh, 30 years of of being in the business, so I can reflect back on my own. And and so I think, you know, we all, you know, even you, you know, as as we're growing our businesses and doing all these things, one of the things we say is, I wish I would have done it earlier. I wish I would have done some of these things earlier. So the same thing. And I think what was happening with Robert and Kim is they were bouncing around on these small little, you know, eight unit, 10 unit deals. And um, which is fine. It's a great, I actually recommend you do that as a learning platform, but I would call that, you know, the first quarter. The second quarter would be, you know, to step up to bigger deals. Um, And and so now I have that advantage to be able to say that because that was my progression too. Uh, You know, we we did 500 million last year in 2020 um, in, in apartments only. And, and um, you know, it's a long, tough evolution to that point. And, um, and so that's all. I, you know, at the time I met Robert, I was already doing two, two and 300 unit deals. And they were doing the small deals. And, it, you know, I was basically saying, hey, that's the kind of stuff I did 10 years ago. 
if you, you know, you really need to step it up. Mm. Um, I got another question here in the chat from supers. He says, uh, on the way up, how much are you willing to give us versus vet for contracts that could show how those tax inner workings work? I've met a few people that seem to know those, but those relationships seem to fall through. It's more of a tax question. I guess that's for you, Tom. Um, yeah, here, here's what I would say is, um, you know, people always ask, well, so we have a network of uh, CPAs in the U.S. and Canada, and people said, so how, when am I big enough? You know, when, when am I ready for a CPA? And I'm going, you know, as soon as you're ready to think bigger and think differently about taxes, you're ready for a CPA. Um, and as long as you're just stuck in that E quadrant or that mindset that I have no choice but to, um, as I love Robert's term, be a tax mule and have the government just, you know, work me. Uh, to death and pay 40, 60% taxes, as long as you're willing to do that, you, you don't need a tax professional. Okay. What you need is when you're ready to go, I'm going to, I want, I'm willing to change my thought process. I'm willing to become an active partner with the government. And whether that's in business, real estate, energy, whatever it is, you know, that's when, even if you, even, even if you're just starting out, that's when you need to seek out having a team because you know, uh, one of the things that, that uh, we do a lot of is we teach as a team, we work together as a team, we bring other people on our team. Uh, you know, Kenny doesn't give tax advice, I don't give real estate advice, you know, and neither of us give legal advice. So, you know, that, that team is, is you, you really want to think bigger, you really want to be bigger, it's all about the team. I saw, I saw Robert working a piece of paper there. I think there's a, a chart that's coming up on the screen. Yeah, it's... The way you shift your thinking, again, going to this here, mm -hmm. I make a lot of money in business. The trouble was it was going out in taxes here. And the reason I needed Kenny, so instead of my money going into taxes, my money comes down here. I borrow money, step it up to a $6 million deal. I have more income from the real estate and I pay no taxes. And that accelerated Kim and I. It's just accelerated us. So you can sit there and you can, you know, but Kim and I did have a lot of experience with smaller deals. Mm -hmm. Once we realized we needed to step up the debt factor, give Kenny, who is a, you know, he, that's his business. Real estate isn't our business. Our business was in, you know, book publishing, seminars, things like that. But once we realized we had to get Kenny more money, then the million dollars, you know, let's say 50% went to tax, that was gone. Now, what, what this does add more money here, tax disappeared. We had more money to give Kenny. <laughs> no, um, we've got the tax guy, we've got the real estate guy, we've got the businessman. Um, we don't have a lawyer on this panel. How important is legal with these sorts of transactions in your estimation? Extremely so. You know, extremely so. Yeah, I would agree. Like I always say, I don't want to go to jail and dance to hula for some guy. You know. What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and we don't want you in jail, Robert. Um, let me ask you a final question because I mean we only have an hour, and I and I've got to wrap it up to just uh, be respectful of everybody's time. Um, let's say a guy like me, Canadian guy with some money, uh, doesn't want to put anything more in assets in Canada. I'm over it. Um, how would I go about, um, deploying money into places like Texas, Arizona, Florida, you know, for example, since I have you guys all on right now. 
the, the first thing, if I can, Kenny, before you get to the actual um, investing side, uh, the first thing to do is make sure you've got your team in place, frankly, because you've, you've really complicated your life when you invest in another country. Mm -hmm. um, because remember, you have to have a tax advisor in the U.S. and in Canada. You have to have an attorney in the U.S. and Canada. So you just have I, I, I would just encourage people to think about that first and include that in your um, calculation of what kind of your return on investment, because you are going to have some extra costs there. Um, but Kenny, I'll let you take the rest of it. Well, the easiest thing, uh, Rich, is for you to incorporate another business in the U.S. so that you're now international. And then mm -hmm. you start investing through the U.S. company so that you already have a U.S. Uh, footprint. So you can't just wire money to my company. We have to actually, you have to set up a U.S. entity through your U.S. bank account. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and then there's this funny thing that they, you know, tax, they want back. It's called repatriation. So, you know, so you have that issue going back. But uh, to Tom's point, there is a way. So when I was looking at actually launching out through Canada, because I actually considered um, expanding through, through, through uh, starting up in Vancouver and, and moving uh, east, um, I was actually looking at setting up a whole company up there. So it would be, you know, MC companies of, of Canada. <clears throat> and then, you know, and then now you're making money in both markets and you can kind of do what you want to do. So you could... That's how uh, that's how I've seen a lot of people do it. Uh, the other way to do it is just set up a U.S. entity and then have um, have some business done in the U.S. Have that grow and then you can invest it right in there and then you're paying tax on that actual entity. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, the most important thing that you want to do is you, you don't want to get in trouble and you um, you want to make sure you're not paying tax twice. You don't want to pay tax, both Canadian tax and U.S. tax, you want to pay one or the other. And mm -hmm. that's that's why you set up the company. That's why you get the advisor on both sides, because the taxes can basically um, confiscate your entire earnings if you're not careful. Got it. Uh, let me just get a, a few more of these last before we wrap up. We've got Mike here saying, how do you handle free time? I always feel stressed out when I'm not in my business. I'm only happy when I work. <laughs> so keep working. <laughs> I don't know. How do you guys handle your free time? Uh, I actually take, uh, you know, I, I, so here's the way I look at my business, Rich. I, I think it exists for me to have free time. So I think that's the only purpose for it. So uh, I think a lot of that might be ego or maybe he's not big enough or maybe he hasn't scaled enough. So um, I used to be there where I'd have to get up at 3am and go in and pound it out and grow and I get that. But at some point, you have to hire the team. You have to get it to the point, kind of like what you did with your with your brother. Step away from it, and, and, uh, and you know it doesn't mean it has to go away. But for me, um, you know, I learned this in YPO and EO, which I'm a member of. And, oh, good and, for you! Yeah, big and, fan and, of those organizations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been I've been in those organizations for 25 years, and and uh, you know I, I learned that from 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 being in those groups. That, there is a the, the business exists so you have great health and great relationships with your family and friends mm -hmm. that's the reason to have a business in my opinion and to not fall for you know these nine to you know uh work hard get a job you know the you know what we're starting to see now I, yeah. i'm not tethered I'm, i literally eat what I kill so i can you know i can do what i want and shut her down grow it i can do whatever i want and i have multiple lines of multiple uh funnels of money too so that's the other thing. If he just has the one, then I would encourage him to take a look at, 
Uh, I, I think I have uh, seven or eight uh, different businesses that all uh, are working in unison. They're very different. And um, so um, freedom, you know? Yeah, the business is uh, supposed to serve you at some point. I mean, you're going to bend over backwards and you're the cleaning lady. You're the, you know, you're the printer repair guy. You do everything, you know, from the get-go. But once revenue starts to come in, you need to figure out a way to put people in place to take care of things so that you don't need to do them. Yeah. Um, just uh, another thanks here to everybody, Tom, Ken, Robert. Uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for carving out some time and um, coming on the show and, and, and catching up and talking about wealth creation with debt and taxes. Um, once again, so we've got Tom Wheelwright. You've got several books on Amazon. Can you just mention where they are and where people can find you, Tom? Uh, so, yeah, Amazon, uh, we're number one in our category, tax-free wealth. Um, and you'll, you'd also find us at the bookstore. So, and we're also in, um, uh, as George W. Bush would say, we're in Mexican, we're in Spanish. So we're actually, we actually are in, in Japanese and Chinese as, as well. And uh, all of our books are in multiple languages, but, um, tax your wealth is one, you know, I would go to, uh, uh why the rich are getting richer. That's one Robert and I uh, did together a few years ago. And that's, you know, they're all, they're all easy, easily accessed. Right. And you've got a YouTube channel as well, too, right? I, I do. The Wealth Ability yeah. Show is my YouTube, is my channel. All right. Ken? Um, thank you, uh, Rich, uh, for your time, too. I appreciate being on. Uh, so I have the ABCs of Real Estate Investing. That's the one that uh, most is most known. It's in 20-some languages and um, continues to be a great seller. The uh, Property Management ABCs, the Advanced Guide, the ABCs of Buying Rental Property. And then in April... I'm releasing the ABCs of raising capital. So we'll have five total. And, uh, uh, and just to note all of that, I have a full-time director of philanthropy at our company. So all my book revenues and everything go into that. And, um, and, and, and we give it all away. Cool. Robert, final words. Well, the first word I learned, I went from uh, high school to school in New York, military school. And the first word they teach you is mission. What's your mission? And I think the most important thing, like Tom is a Mormon missionary, and Kenny and I, we're all on the same mission. And it's a spiritual one, is that, you know, there's no financial education in our schools. So our mission keeps us going. You know, we, we have enough money. It's not about the money anymore. It's about the mission. And so to elevate the financial well-being of humanity, because the gap between rich and poor is now too dangerous. And that's what keeps us going. Appreciate that. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, just hang around for a sec while I just end the broadcast. Guys, yeah. leave a, uh, a thumbs up and a like, and we'll see you guys.